I'm David S. Dawson from the Intellectual Podcast, a show that spotlights creatives from all walks of life, part of the Gunna Geek Network, just like the show you're checking out now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other incredibly geeky shows at GunnaGeekNetwork.com. This is the official GunnaGeek.com show. Each week, we run down the latest news and happenings in the world of geek. These are your hosts for the show, Steven, Chris, and SP. Welcome to an all-new episode of the official Gunna Geek Show, not the fake one. I am Steven, and with me, of course, is Chris Farrell. Steven, where's my five bucks? I uh, thought it was three fifty. Uh, we've also got SP here. I have heard that the knockoff GunnaGeek.com show is actually better than the GunnaGeek.com show. So I'm wondering when we're going to start streaming that one. You know what? The knockoff of anything to do with me is better. I think that's the understanding of many. That's what I'm saying. Why are we not streaming that one instead? Yeah. Hey, speaking of knockoffs, uh, I know in our Discord server, you were just talking a little bit about how you watched the Friends uh, reunion mm -hmm. over the weekend. And I just found a fun little uh, story. So apparently, a guy that I work with knows a guy that um, back in the day, Regis and Kelly would do like like celebrity knockoff castings or whatever, where they, they would go and they would find people that looked like something. And they did Friends. And apparently, a guy I work with, one of his good friends, was cast as Chandler. And, and the resemblance was, was actually uh, pretty fitting. So uh, apparently Regis and Kelly used to do that back in the day. I watched the clip. And um, yeah, they the, all, all three women didn't look like the, the people. But the, <laughs> but the three guys did, though. So was it the ability to act like them was the similarity or look, look. was the key? It, it was look. So these people were uh. from all over the place. Like they actually ended up being two Canadians. The rest were in the state or us and they just flew them all in and, and it was just apparently a bit that regis and, and kelly would do and uh because they said like i i don't know for sure but the, they had said they had it called like the celebrity look-alike cat uh, uh -huh. segment or something so it was generalized so i got the impression that this was like the friends one and then maybe not a few weeks later they do another one or something right but uh-huh yeah well, i'm surprised that they couldn't find a look-alike for jennifer anistead and courtney cox <sighs> Courtney Cox, the Courtney Cox lookalike was kind of okay. I, I didn't really see it, though. I thought that the guys did. But anywho. Is this Courtney before or after facial reconstruction surgery? After, I think. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Probably before, if it was at the time. No, I mean, if it was recent. Now, when was Regis and Kathy lee actually on the air that's got to be 10 years ago now right Something Something like lee, that. long before that if it was kelly it's more recent yeah well it's i mean regis is no longer on the show and uh michael strahan right regis is also dead Re yeah, regis right. is dead and, and michael is gone too yeah. michael, I, I michael i was trying to be kind My, yeah. michael's gone michael's too. gone too it's um Ryan Seacrest now, I think. Yeah, it's Seacrest, I think. Oh my gosh. No wonder I don't watch it. <laughs> well, we aren't exactly the target demographic of live with insert actor A and actor B here. I don't know if it's Jennifer Aniston. No. And, and with that said, I think that we should do the news after the break.
All right, let's start off here with a a weird, a weird news thing that I am throwing over to SP. I never thought that I would see the day that I tossed it to SP to do the news about space and Canadian space news. It's all Canadian space news. What? What is this, SP? That's right. This is Canada's big week for space news. So first of all, I am going to throw a shout out to Gonna Geek Discord member Jim Video, who posted this story online. I hadn't seen it yet. I probably would have seen it tomorrow when I got back to work. But he posted a story from Science Alert, and it was an article about the Canada's portion of the International Space Station taking a hit from space debris. Now, this piece of space debris was just too small to be tracked by current sensing methods, which can only track debris as small as a softball. Anything smaller than that, it just doesn't happen. Currently, there are 23,000 such items, which are softball size or bigger, being tracked in low Earth orbit right now. There are more above low Earth orbit, but that's just where it is in low Earth orbit, 23,000, and that's where the International Space Station is traveling. Now, the debris hit the Canada Arm 2 robotic arm. The arm is still operational, but the impact punctured the thermal blanket covering the arm and pierced right through the boom as well. The damage was discovered during a May 12th inspection of the station, and the event underscores the importance to mitigate the challenge of unwanted natural and man-made debris in orbit around the Earth. Now, you might be saying natural. What are you talking about, SP? Well, there's meteorites and space dust that the Earth comes into contact with all the time. So you have to take those things into consideration as well. It is too soon to know if this was actually a human-made object that impacted the Canada arm or if this was natural. We may never know, but that was something that happened. Canada took a hit for the International Space Station. Stephen, how do you feel about that? I'm very, very sad. Very, very sad that this uh, this has a hole in it now. A piece of Canadian space technology has a hole in it because of the space debris, which I can only assume after last week's conversation, uh, it, it was basically just um, a warning shot by America uh, against Canada. It's like, no, Stephen and your Canadian space agency, you better keep in your place. Know your place. No, no, well, no. We all know it was Suncast that's responsible for this. <laughs> that debris wasn't space dust or anything like that. It was the leftover stick from his lollipop that he had from candy in a van down by the river on Mars that he then launched from Mars at the arm. Because NASA's got some really advanced ability to calculate the trajectory to do that properly. And it is his fault that the Canadian space arm has been damaged because he wanted to get rid of his lollipop trash. So what kind of reparations is Canada seeking against Suncast at this moment? They can't prove it. I mean, it came from Mars in a secret NASA base. Right. (laughs) I mean, Suncast claims in the chat room it wasn't him, but he's got to say that for plausible deniability. I'm here to tell you, I've watched the trajectory of everything from Suncast encampment on the NASA Mars base, and I know it was him. I know Suncast. I know. Caught him on a space station? Wasn't him. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) 
That's not all that happened in Canada space news in the past week. Secondly, in a statement on Wednesday, May 26, 2021, the Canadian Space Agency, CSA, officials announced a lunar rover partnership with NASA to be launched in 2026. The rover will explore a lunar polar region. I'm not sure if it's North or South Pole. Survive an entire night on the moon, which lasts 13 Earth days, by the way, and carry at least two scientific instruments, one Canadian and one American. So Canada is going to have its own rover up there. Stephen, what do you think about that? This is cool. I like it. This this is awesome. We got to start somewhere. I know um, in, in usual Canadian fashion, we're a little bit behind the curve on this. That, but but that that's our technology. Like that's that's all, we've talked all about this. There's there's a few things that we are, I, I think, overall as a country ahead of America in certain technological aspects and have been before. For example, the the debit card thing like we, we I've had them since I was a kid. Anyways. Overall, though, we, we've tracked this. We've talked about this before. Canada usually falls way, way, way behind the U.S. And is like, oh, yeah, Stephen, we had that down here like 10 years ago. So this is uh, pretty usual. We're, we're doing something that kind of seems like it should have done, been done in the 80s. But it's cool. It's cool. There's a lot of things in space that should have been done back in the <laughs> 80s, but just weren't. I mean, it's not just Canada here. It's everybody. So finally, there's a third news item with the Canadian Space Agency right now. Three Canadian-funded technology demonstrations for lunar mission supply chains and three capability demonstrations for lunar missions funded under the Lunar Exploration Accelerator Program, or LEAP, were awarded last week. Now, the three capability demonstrations are scheduled to be tested on the lunar surface in 2022. That includes an artificial intelligence flight computer from Mission Control Space Services, a lightweight panoramic camera built by, I, you're going to have to help me with this, Canada NC. Uh, how do you spell it? I didn't even see the name of it. How do you spell it? C-A-N-A-D-E-N-S-Y. Canada NC. That makes no Canada sense, density. but see that. Okay, this gets yeah. back to the whole Canada arm thing because when you say Canada arm, after the duh, like it, it's duh arm, like there, there's two A's in there, but that's not how it's spelled. Like everybody says, it, and I believe we officially call it the Canada arm, but it's not. It's it, it's missing an A in the spelling. So this fits right in with the poor decisions of the naming conventions of the Canadian Space Agency. <laughs> Okay, well, you're going to have to work on that. And by the way, the third one was and a planetary navigation system developed by NGC Aerospace Limited. Now, the three demonstrations will travel to the moon aboard the Japanese Hakuru-er lander. That's H-A-K-U-T-O-R lander. So Japan is sending up a lander next year, and Canada is going to have three capability demonstrations on board. So you don't have to wait till 2026. Next year, you're going to be on the lunar surface. I'm literally Googling for this name that you just said, <laughs> and nothing is coming up. They keep suggesting Canadian eBay for some reason. It's a shell company. <laughs> so I, I don't know. I, I cannot find anything to do with that. So you have sent me on that. Well, they're getting $2.5 billion to do this. 
No, 2.5 million. I was going to say, where are they getting that? Because that is grossly above the uh, Canadian Space Agency budget. (laughs) The proposal was called Canadian Smart Lunar Vision System Performance Validation and Capability Demonstration. Okay, interesting. Uh, yeah, no, I, I think this is cool. Uh, I've, I've expressed before my, my sort of dis, distaste for how much we really put into the space programs uh, in Canada. But, you know, we got to do something somewhere. And we, we I guess, are going to do moon stuff, which is cool. I think it's cool. I think eventually once SpaceX opens up the Starship capability for other countries to be able to launch stuff in, I think Canada is going to be right up in there. So you won't have to develop an infrastructure. You just pay for your ticket up there, just like you pay for a ticket on United or Delta to travel somewhere. It'll be the same thing. And it's going to really open up space programs for a lot of people and a lot of countries in Canada included, not just the United States. So I think this is neat. And I think Canada getting in on it now gives you a leg up for space-based technologies that you're going to need in order to actually work and play and, and do a, explore in space. Okay, so I did a little bit of research for your news point here, SP. Okay, so uh, okay, when, when some of this came out on, on Twitter, you ended up uh, tagging me in, and we talked a little bit about my comment last week, yes. which was the following. We know that there's no big, you know, equivalent of NASA in Canada. So that was my point last week, was that there was no big equivalent in in uh, Canada, as I just said. Uh, and and here, here's the numbers. Here's the bottom line numbers of the budget. I, I did a little bit of research. I don't know why you're trying to self-deprecate here. I, I would have just left this alone. NASA's budget, $22.6 billion. Billion with a B. Yeah. Canada's space agency's budget, four hundred and three million dollars. And if you're and wo- look how much you do <laughs> with that four hundred and three million dollars versus us sinking into stuff that doesn't make a difference. And just for those of you who can't do the calculation, it's less than two percent of NASA's budget is what it is. So uh, I just thought that you know I was excited to see this. Obviously, because like I said, I really want to see Canada do do more, but it doesn't alleviate the fact that we do so little. And so I need I needed to, you know, knock it all wrapped up in the excitement that was Canada doing this stuff. And I had to call it like it was, which was that we're still behind the curve. So anyways, I I, I don't know. You took a direct hit from space debris and you're true. still ticking. That's, that's something, man. <laughs> yeah. So, anywho, there's the numbers right there, and uh, we look forward to you guys shaming us further. Shame, shame, <laughs> shame. No, I'm not going to shame anybody. No, this it, is, it'll be this the reverse. It'll be the reverse of the finale of Space Force. Instead of uh, China doing it to the U.S., U.S. will be doing something to Canada. That's what it'll be. <laughs> it'll be Canadian bacon in space. <laughs> Well, thank you very much for this, SP. I do appreciate you highlighting the Canadian space news. You bet. Chris, there's some big news out of the world of Amazon this past week, right? Yes, and we're not talking A-word devices or Fire TV devices or things like that. Amazon's going on a bit of an acquisition spree. And this one had been rumored for a little bit, but it was announced on Wednesday of last week that uh, Amazon was officially acquiring Metro Goldwyn Mayer Movie Studio, you know, MGM, 
were about $8.45 billion. So the question is, why would Amazon want to acquire MGM? Well, here's a simple reason why. This acquisition includes the company's library of more than 4,000 films and also 17,000 TV shows. The catalog includes films released after 1986. A side note here, earlier library titles are controlled by Turner Entertainment Company, which is a division of Warner Media. So that would be things like, uh, well, complete brain fart here. Just think older movies before 1986, some classics in there that MGM may have done, like The Wizard of Oz, for instance. They don't actually own the rights to that anymore. What about James Bond films that were released before 1986? So Bond is a different kettle of fish, and we'll get to that in a second. I like the okay. expression kettle of fish. We're going to go with that. <laughs> <laughs> Where did that come from? <laughs> I've, I've saw it somewhere before, and I just like the expression kettle of fish. I, I, probably from dumb, some dumb sci-fi book at some point in time, but I'm going with it. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> so Amazon gains access to MGM's library of franchises and ongoing series to develop its own IP off of. So they own characters or will own characters such as Rocky Balboa. They'll own the Legally Blonde franchise, the Pink Panther, Poltergeist, and they even own the character Dr. Hannibal Lecter, though they don't own other pieces of that universe like Clary's Starling. So in theory, they could do another Hannibal Lecter movie or TV show. Now let's get into the James Bond thing, what I equated to a different kettle of fish. This also includes James Bond, the series and its characters, though it's unclear how much control they have over the franchise. Here's why. MGM holds only 50% of the rights to Bond. The other 50% is controlled by the Broccoli family, who have to sign off on new projects in the franchise and its creative decisions. Thanks to this 50-50 say on the future of Bond, this means that Amazon couldn't unilaterally decide to say, hey, we've had a lot of luck with these Tom Clancy-based Prime series, Let's do a James Bond prime series or something that would also tie to the James Bond movies. They cannot do that, presumably, without approval from the Broccoli family and the Broccoli family's creative control. So they have bought up a lot of stuff here. One series that is part of Amazon's back catalog that I'm really excited for them to own the rights to and maybe do something with is the Stargate series. Now, we haven't talked about it on this show, but if you've been following various geek blogs and news sources, the former showrunners, Robert C. Wright and, or is Robert C. Cooper and Brad Wright, or is it the other way around? Wright and Cooper, who basically ran the entire series on Sci Fi Channel and Showtime before that moved, have been floating the idea of wanting to continue the story of Stargate. They have talked to the original actors to get them involved to reprise their roles as aged versions of their characters to continue a story set in that universe. However, comma, this was all prior to the pandemic. The pandemic hit and they said, This slows things down a little bit. We are still committed to wanting to do more with Stargate. MGM was seemingly interested. MGM has now been bought by Amazon. Jeff Bezos already saved one sci-fi show because he liked it a lot. That was The Expanse. So fingers crossed that Jeff Bezos is a fan of Stargate because (laughs) that means in theory, they've got a big backer, the guy who owns the company and now all of the content that says, I want more in this universe. And Prime has been making a big point of wanting to have their own exclusive in-house made shows and content. And they do have some really good content, but now they have access to the vast IP of the Stargate television series. And why I brought all this up was to bring my speculation and hope to the forefront. Let's hope we can turn this positive thought into reality 
Amazon could hopefully bring back Stargate in some way, shape, or form. I have no sources or anything like that that says they're going to do it, but they have the ability to do so. So send positive thoughts that Amazon resurrects the Stargate franchise because there's still a lot that could be done there. Even if it is not an ongoing tale of all the characters we love from Stargate SG-1, you could tell stories that are set 20 years after SG-1 ended where these folks are in senior roles that are helping to guide the future of the Stargate division. So the small news here, Amazon bought MGM for eight and a half billion. The big news in my mind, it means they can bring Stargate back now. Stargate <laughs> is awesome. It was one of my four big TV series that wasn't Star Wars or Star Trek. So you had The Expanse, which is my number one now. Stargate, which used to be my number one, but is number two. And then you also had like Battlestar Galactica. And for those that remember the 80s anime Robotech, those were my four big space operas, which were amazing. Now, the problem with Stargate versus the others is that it's set in real time. So it suffers from kind of the Star Trek, the original series technology issue, whereas the early on Stargate stuff is really, really dated. If you go back and, and you watch the movie or you watch the beginning of Stargate SG-1, it's shot in 4.3. It hasn't really been upscaled and it has uh, just older technology, you know, the bigger laptops, the, the, the older stuff. Mm -hmm. So bringing that franchise into the future, you have this complicated universe where it's based on human history up to a certain point, but then humans are part of this larger universe. You have Stargate Atlantis, the city, which actually touches down in the middle of the ocean at the end of that spoiler, by the way, but it's something that you can't ignore. It's just too big of an event. It had to have been known throughout the planet. And one of the things about the Stargate universe is that only a select few knew that the earth was part of this bigger civilization throughout the galaxy. And as we see in Stargate universe throughout the universe, not just the galaxy, but more galaxies than that. So the problem I see with rebooting or doing a follow on Stargate series is that real time challenge. Whereas all the others that I named off, you can go into the future and you can just say, Hey, look, this is in the future. Like the expanse is in the future. The Robotech it's technically in the future. I mean, it's in the past, but you can say it's in the future. And Battlestar Galactica is not even related to Earth until they actually get to Earth. So you can find ways around that. So that's the one caveat I have with Stargate and an issue with restarting that franchise. Now, can they reboot it in a way that completely obfuscates that? Absolutely. And I would look forward to that. But those are the challenges that they have looking forward. As far as the James Bond here, get a quick word in on that. The Broccoli family, if they want to make more money, they're going to have to make some creative decisions to go forward with something. Now, whether it, that's a series or a movie, that's up to them. I'm sure they will want to continue doing movies, and I'm sure Amazon will want to do that, too. And there's a lot of theories coming out that Amazon might also want to do a television series of some kind. And the Broccoli family, like I said, they've been very defensive of Bond, but they've pretty much made it so that movies were happening at a fairly rapid pace. So I don't think that's going to go away because they like money. It's just a matter of whether they want to go forward with anything other than movies, or if they feel that is potentially watering things down or opening them up to 
more not criticism but if you don't pull off a tv series does that then impact the future of the movies because people right. are like, Ugh, i didn't like that bond tv show why do i want to see the movies so do you know because i haven't ever like the only stargate i've watched is the original movie and mm-hmm. Oh, mm-hmm. that's anyways. where it all starts by the way yeah um so i'm not that excited about that but i am excited about this this deal but do you know, like, when a movie falls under, like, them being the production company, is that what they're getting? Or does it include when they were the distribution company? Like, I'll give you an example of that. Clerk, I, I just was doing a little reading about this. Clerks 2 was produced by View Askew Productions and the Weinstein Company. And it was distributed by partially the Weinstein Company and also MGM. Would would that be one that they would they would have because they distributed it, but there was nothing to do with like the production side of things? A distribution deal, I would think, is probably slightly separate from a production deal. It all depends on how the legalese and the deal was worked out between those as to who retains ownership. And that probably varies. And again, we're not really Hollywood insiders here. But okay. remember, we ran into that issue a little bit with the Marvel movies when you get to... Um, Iron Man 1, which was Paramount produced mm. or handled the distribution of it. So they got a cut in their logo at the beginning of it at one point in time. And I think it was Universal that handled the distribution for the Incredible Hulk movie. And that also was technically Marvel Studios, just weird rights as to who would distribute. So I think Marvel still retains ownership, but had to give up some of the distribution rights to those studios. So I think it varies just honestly, depending on how the contracts are. All right. Well, then here's another question for you. And this is this is uh, SP's favorite movie of the of recent Um, Legally Blonde. uh, It's actually a star is born. I thought it was a good example because the production company was MGM Live Nation Productions, Gerber Production or Pictures, Peters Entertainment. That's it it was four all in one. So like, what does Amazon get with that? They, They get like a percentage and. And they basically I, I don't, don't know. get anything from it. Like, I don't know. I, anyways, I've never seen a Star is Born, but... Uh, Which one? The the most recent one. Gotcha. That's what I was referring to. Um, but no, I just was looking through some of the MGM titles on Wikipedia. And like, as I was going through, I was seeing some of these different questions come to my mind. And, and this was partially inspired by, in our Discord, we had someone say, is there a list of everything that's been affected by this? And that's this is the question that I have because when you go through the MGM list in so many uh films, they're only a piece of the pie. And so Can I'm gonna give you another example. Yeah, for sure. Star Wars A New Hope. Is MGM part of Star Wars A New Hope? No, that was 20th no. Century Fox right. and okay. Lucasfilm Limited. And then right. the way the rights were structured was Fox always had a cut on uh on a new hope. And then when Disney acquired Lucasfilm, they had to keep the Fox logo and distribution to that with Fox, but Disney had the other five movies at the time. So this is all weird. And now Disney owns 20th century. Fox. Correct. So they could then distribute that how they chose to, because that was one of the interesting things when it came to trying to purchase these things. Streaming is that the streaming complexities came into play as to how do I acquire right. a new hope? Question for you guys there. Have you seen Star Wars A New Hope on Disney Plus recently? No. 
Okay. Neither have I. Uh, actually, I have, but I, I don't remember the beginning because I was on the treadmill. I'm going to have to go back and take a look and see if that 20th Century Fox logo is still part of Star Wars A New Hope because that is just a data point in all this. Like, is there some legalese that says that they still need to retain that 20th Century Fox thing, which would pertain to the questions you've been asking here, Stephen, for yeah. MGM? It's a good question. But now, now that they own 20th Century Fox, they could probably do whatever they wanted. 20th Century Fox isn't going to sue them. <laughs> Since right. you can't sue yourself. Uh, yeah, but I don't know if there's some sort of Hollywood uh, thing that says the original company logo still mm. needs to be on there. Perhaps. Well, in any case, we look forward to Chris getting back to us next week with the answer to all of these questions. I'm looking up the Disney Plus piece right now for uh, okay. Star Wars. I'll Perfect. report in. Awesome. I'm okay. have to mute myself so I don't actually do anything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't want to take down notice. Thank you very much. No, yeah, no problem. Not, not from the 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 mouse. No, not thanks. the house of mouse. <laughs> no. All right. Well, from my news point, if you go way way back in the Gunna Geek show catalog, maybe you even have to go back to the Gunna Geek podcast catalog, you'll hear a bright-eyed Chris Farrell educate. SP and myself on the wonderful thing that was Dolby Atmos when it came out. That's because mm -hmm. Chris Farrell, our very own Chris Farrell. Oh, he, by the way, for the, before we continue, okay. for the audio listener, Chris is holding up his phone and he's probably giving us a takedown notice right now, but it is the 20th Century Fox logo. So it is there. Okay. Hopefully it won't We're be, muted. It won't There's be. no takedown for just showing a studio splash. Not yet. Well, at least you didn't show like the the correct the the you know the scroll or anything yeah. that happened after yeah. that. No, I just stopped after it went to the uh, Lucasfilm Limited splash. Okay. So, anyways, uh, thanks for that, by the way. Uh, so, Chris was an early adopter of Dolby Atmos. In fact, I think it's worth note. Shortly after Chris did talk about Dolby Atmos, SP did go out and copy him. And I believe he did buy something that was Dolby Atmos just based off of Chris Farrell's review. I did. You also... It was, it, it was a Sony soundbar that had Dolby, Dolby Atmos included. 7.2.1, I think. Gotcha. Well, you also, if you've paid attention at all through the past how many episodes, you might have noticed as well that often when there's a new piece of media technology that comes out or a streaming service, often Chris is very quick to comment on Dolby Atmos and whether or not said service has it. So really, Chris Farrell is the Dolby Atmos expert on the Gunna Geek show. I'm it's the HV nerd of uh, <laughs> the show. Yeah, it's not just Dolby Atmos. It's also the uh, the, the streaming, the visual streaming. Whether yeah, it's Dolby 4K. Vision. Okay. Yes, exactly. And that's why today I'm happy that I can take a scoop from him out of the world of Dolby Atmos slash Dolby Vision, because today the news went around that apparently Microsoft actually has a two-year console exclusive on Dolby Atmos and Dolby Vision. What this means is that if true, the consumers shouldn't be expecting to see Dolby Atmos or Dolby Vision on Nintendo Switch or Sony PlayStation anytime soon, because this apparently was the case. But now here's where it gets really weird because I was reading this news and I, I looked and there was a bunch of different sources and they all linked to a reference blog post on Xbox Wire France Finance. This is where they listed to it. But when I clicked on the, the link that was listed, 
it went to a 404 page on the francenews.xbox.com. So took it down. Maybe I didn't actually get a scoop on Chris, but I thought I would still bring this up because this would be very, very interesting. And I can't wrap my head around why Dolby would agree to this. So question for you, Stephen. Is this exclusive Atmos and Dolby Vision for video games or for all purposes on the Xbox? (sighs) Because there is a difference in how it comes to market for how people would care about it. Hmm, that's a, that's a good point. I didn't see anything specific about there. I did see reference, though, how you would need to pop buy the $15 license. So I took that caveat. $15 license if you want to use it on headphones yes, for yes, Dolby yes, Atmos. Sorry. And if you have an entertainment center or surround sound, it is free. And, and my point with that was that... Um, was that that I know that fee covers more than just games. Now, I couldn't find the source material, so I couldn't say for sure. And the news articles that I read didn't specifically say whether it was just for games or for for um, Blu-rays as well. I, I'm not sure. But in, in either case, I can't really wrap my head around why they would make it exclusive. Like, like do, okay, Chris is pointing, doing the money, money sign. But you don't think that they could have been like, oh, well, Microsoft is offering us a deal. I'll bet that we could go and we could get these guys to buy us to not go exclusive. But so Sony doesn't care in regards to the Atmos piece, I would imagine, because they developed their own spatial sound thing that they have on PS5. But how that works with surround sound systems, I don't really know. But a lot of people talk about this specifically in regards to headphones. And things like that, because you can pretty much, if you have decent headphones, put Atmos Atmos on those to simulate altitudes and stuff like that. Now, Dolby Vision, I know for gameplay, that is something that Microsoft was touting, is that this is the only console you can do Dolby Vision in. And for those that aren't aware, that's Dolby's version of HDR10, basically, and HDR10+. They have their own codec, I think it is, that handles HDR content. It's cool. I mean, it's just, I don't know. It's really a major differentiator. It's probably just Microsoft throwing their wallet around. They just spent how many billions on buying Bethesda? I imagine this was something in the million area to make an exclusive contract. I guess my question, though, is like, I I get that Sony might have their own pictures that don't do Dolby Atmos, but there is a lot of things out there that do Dolby Atmos. And so that's why why I struggle that they, they wouldn't care. I think we are overemphasizing, and I note the irony in me being the one that says this, <laughs> how much Dolby Atmos is used by a lot of people. I use it a lot because I built a home theater system to have it, so I'd be able to watch movies using Dolby Atmos and play certain video games that way. But the vast majority of people probably don't care about Dolby Atmos because they either A, don't have a surround sound system or a receiver that can support it, or B, don't care to pay the 15 bucks to have their headphones do it because they may not necessarily notice it as much. It's really great to have, but it is not necessarily a selling point of something for a lot of folks. I don't think you can be like, this game has Dolby Atmos sound, and they'll be like, oh my God, I have to have it. Same with Dolby Vision, because if it supports Dolby Vision, it's probably going to support HDR10 or HDR10+. And there's a lot of debate as to which is the better rendering tool for HDR. A lot of people say Dolby Vision. I don't know. My TV doesn't support it. It was a generation two, two, one generation too new or too mm. old rather to be able to support it. So I haven't played with it. I just have HDR 10. 
All right. So let me ask you this, SP, because uh, you and I aren't like King Chris there having a current generation console. We're just peasants here. Um, I know that you and I ha have not had a chance to purchase a, a console. If you were looking to purchase a console, and I know you've expressed a little bit about how you use it for media and things like that, would you factor this in to your decision when it came to buying a console? Or when it comes to buying a console, will you factor this in because you do use your console for media? So I have two things I wanted to say here, and I'll side skirt your question okay. to be to begin with, but I'll get there in the end. So the first thing I want to say is thank you, Chris, for explaining on this show all about Dolby Atmos and HDR and that sort of thing, because at the beginning of the pandemic, we talked about this earlier on last year, that I had to update my two main media centers into 4K TVs. And I ended up upgrading the sound systems because of compatibility issues and stuff like that. What a great time to do that because I was stuck inside for the next year plus, right? <laughs> so it, it really was. I mean, if there was a good time for me to upgrade into that, the past year at the beginning, last March was the perfect time to do that. And it was before any price hikes or unavailability and, and that sort of stuff. So thank you very much for instigating me into that also because my equipment was failing but it also you know thank you very much there so that's the first part now to answer steven's question kind of gets into what i was just saying is that due to the chip unavailability due to uh, manufacturing issues due to shipping delays and we're not just talking about the suez canal that was plugged up for a week about a month or two ago i'm talking about massive shipping delays worldwide based on ships going from point A to point B, bringing shipping containers to point from point A to point B and unable to bring those shipping containers back because they're not full of anything. So this is a domino effect throughout the entire economy. Because of that, I really don't have plans to buy an overpriced Nintendo Switch or Sony PlayStation anytime soon. If I'm going to buy anything, it's just going to be Xbox because it's just it, it's what I've decided to do. And because it already has the integrated Dolby stuff, I'll be fine there. But I don't have a desire to spend, to overspend on these consoles. I'm not a huge gamer. And Stephen, as you alluded to, I do use my media consoles for, or these gaming consoles for media consoles as well. Uh, not so much lately because I've been able to get by with the Roku's, but it's always my fallback. And it is where I play my Blu-rays through. So as long as I still have that capability, I'm going to use it. But in the meantime, I'm guessing over that. So this agreement is for two years. I'm, I'm guessing these cost increases and chip availability and shipping and stuff like that. It's going to be a couple of years before everything levels out. So I'm fine waiting a couple of years until this Dolby perpetrates throughout all the rest of the consoles and one thing to keep in mind is the previous generation of xboxes the xbox ones you can run dolby atmos sound off of those they will not support dolby vision i don't believe mm -hmm. but dolby atmos is not a problem because i had an xbox one x in my entertainment center and we we're playing uh, 4k blu-rays through it and getting the dolby atmos tracks for it so mm -hmm. if you still have one of the last gen consoles yeah, i do you can run atmos on that with no problem i have several in the house so i'm good there yeah I uh, the only Atmos thing that I've done is with headphones and and not even 
the best headphones, but it was the simulated Atmos driver. I did pay for it on Windows and I did. And I, I was impressed with that alone, let alone I, I would imagine it'd be quite different with actual Dolby Atmos headphones as well. Uh, the last thing that I just wanted to quickly acknowledge here is, hey, Google Photos, they, uh, the unlimited storage changes are happening here. Uh, if you didn't know this, as of tomorrow, Google Photos is ending their free unlimited storage. And that means that not only will you see uh, some changes maybe with some, some Pixel phones that might be under there, if there is still anybody still under there, I'm not sure. Um, but also they are getting rid of the... Um, the free high quality one, um, which was not really high quality, but that's what they called it. So if you are used to any form of free Google Photos upload in any capacity, you should keep an eye out on that because they're all going to start ca counting towards your drive storage. I moved away from that when I got my Pixel 4 because or 4a because my Pixel 2 did have unlimited free storage. But then when I went to the 4A, it did not have that. So I ended up like I've been paying for a monthly fee. So all my uploads are going towards my drive uh, allotment. And it's fine because I have the I have the shared family plan, of yep. like two terabytes or whatever. So it's fine. Um, but I wanted to mention that right now because I know there is somebody in our chat who has been using Google Photos quite a bit uh, for some photography. Uh, Suncast is who I'm talking about, by so the way. Pro tip, if you're an Amazon Prime subscriber, a lot of people don't know this, there's an Amazon Photos app. And as part of your Prime benefits, you get unlimited photo backups at full resolution, not video, but photo. So I run both the Google Photos app and the Amazon Photos app on my phone, and it'll basically just sync them all in the background. So as long as I'm a Prime subscriber, full quality photos upload to Prime for unlimited storage. That's great. I'll have to give it a shot again. Like I tried it a long time ago and it was a horrible experience compared to Google Photos, but that was that was like easily a year and a half, two years I ago. I only use the app to do the background syncing just so I have a backup copy of them. I don't use the gotcha. app to do anything else really other than just upload to Amazon servers. I really I use, like Google Photos though. Sorry, go ahead. I use Amazon Photos to have a favorites list basically that then plays on the Echo Show mm. that's the, mm -hmm. the screen as a screensaver basically and that goes out to any device that has a, a screen that a show with a screen so that's what i use it for i don't use it for a backup for anything else but at least my favorites are saved over yep. there it's just not as much as every single shot that i take on my phone that was amazon photos you use that is what you're saying yeah, yeah i that's what i do too i have um our kitchen has the display with the photos and that's pretty much the only photos that i have uploaded to it <laughs> Which should be relatively like your most important photos or a portion of them anyway. So at least they're backed up. It's like 15 photos. It's the same 15 photos on rotation. <laughs> Man, that gets boring after a while. Well, I had plans to go back and add more and that day never came. I see. <laughs> uh, but that's going to go ahead and take us to the end of the show. Before we wrap up, I just want to give everybody a moment here to plug and promote and do whatever they would like to do. Let's start with you, Feral, comma, Chris. Cool. Thank you, John Drew, comma, Stephen. I appreciate <laughs> you passing it off to me. A friendly reminder to those of you guys who are watching this live or those folks that may be watching or listening at a later date. We do stream this show live every Monday over at www.geeks.live. If you scroll down to that page, there is a calendar of all of our upcoming live events. 
go check out some of the other live content we've got here and tell them that we sent you. Pioneer, comma, Stargate? That doesn't work the same. <laughs> you can say P, comma, S. I mean, I can go that way. P, comma, S? That sounds worse. <laughs> it does. Uh, I talk, we talk all the time about all the great content that you can find within the Gunna Geek umbrella. If you go to the Gunna Geek Discord server at gunnageek.com slash Discord, you'll see a list of shows, podcast-specific channels that we have. One in particular I just want to call out this week, Play Comics. Chris comes back with a, uh, original waffles, by the way, on our Discord server. He comes back with a episode this week talking about the Pride Omnibus with Joe Glass. And check out the podcast and the show notes for your chance to win a free copy of that 400-page Omnibus. So check that out. Play comics on the Guinea Geek Network. And the last thing that I want to mention is our Discord server. If you go to guineageek.com slash Discord, we would love to have you over there. We got lots of cool conversation happening. And why I say there's cool conversation is because, like, there was the example earlier with the whole space news point that got thrown in there. But also, we had a bit of an expansion on the whole trolley problem conversation from last week. That's a conversation that's starting up. But also, we had somebody talking about their move and a smart thermostat that they put in and some of the, the different progress with, with their move. So we got a lot of variety of conversation in the Discord, and I just love it all. So I, I, I do think that it's a, a lot of cool cats having some cool conversation. <laughs> No, like the cat says in the cat's musical. Yes, exactly. Cody Goff are, is there. Are they in the cradle with the silver spoon? They are. Do they have nine lives? Yes, that too. But that's going to go ahead and take us to the end of the show. So for episode 379 of the official Gunna Geek show, I'm Steven saying watch out for the Gunna Geek reunion special coming to HBO Max. I'm SP saying if you watched any of Friends at all, the reunion special is self-explanatory and fun to watch. So good catch that. I'm Chris, and I thought we were on Paramount Plus. MGM. That's where I'm prime. Yeah. Disney okay. Plus. Gonna Geek Plus. Bye. We still own it. <laughs> checking out another episode of the official gunnageek.com show if you like the show please give us a five-star review in apple Podcasts or a thumbs up on youtube you can always join us for our live recording sessions which stream mondays at 8 45 p.m eastern at www.geeks.live and remember you can find our full back catalog at gunnageek.com forward slash show if you're itching for more geeky content, check out other shows on gunnageeknetwork.com. Voice work was by Emily Prokop of the Story Behind podcast. That's it for this episode. We hope to see you back again next week. <laughs>